Hey everybody, I'm Gerald. This is the Uninformed Banker, and today we have John coming to us from across the pond, I think, because he keeps changing wherever the fuck he is in the world every time <laughs> yeah, I man. get from him. <laughs> Bouncing all over. How you doing, Jerry? It's good to see you again. It's been a long time. I know, it has. It's been oh, probably a decade. I'm trying to think. Actually, maybe a little bit less, because we did see each yeah. other at UMass Lowell. Oh, that is true. We bumped into, <laughs> we had a, some yeah. interesting encounters at UMass Lowell. But so before like, that, obviously, the bulk of our encounters were Boy Scouts, and that was yep. yeah, it's so long ago, probably yeah, eight years ago, eight nine years ago. Yeah, it's crazy. And you've been traveling the world because <laughs> literally there was one, there was like one week where I thought you were in somewhere in Asia, and then the next <laughs> I knew you were in Europe, and I'm like, wait, what the fuck? Yeah, I man. Uh, <laughs> uh, I wish I could say it was because I was extremely adventurous, and I'm I just have like wanderlust and want to get out and about but luckily you know i'm in the air force so that is a, a job that gives me the opportunity to travel around the world because you know we deliver air power from all across the globe so i was stationed in south korea for a portion of 2019 and a portion of 2020 and then right in the height of covid i got orders out to the uk so here i live now i'm about an hour west i'm sorry an hour east of london in a town called Bury St. Edmunds. And yeah, I've been here for just about a year now. I got two more to go. But obviously living in all these strange places, you have the opportunities to branch out and travel, you know, in the locations around those locations. So especially here, I've been going crazy, man. I've been to all sorts of parts of England. And once COVID uh, lightens up, we're planning on getting off island and going to Spain, Italy. We want to go to Gibraltar, you know, all sorts, all the cool stuff. That we, that we get to do but yeah bottom line i'm just i'm lucky to be here <laughs> lucky and happy to be here nice nice what are you drinking today uh so i poured myself a little guinness if you if you can see that this is actually a glass it says fenway park emc club um i'm sure you've heard of emc as a as a mass boy like me uh i stole this cup from fenway park I had a membership somehow. So I think it was my grandfather got me tickets to a Red Sox game. One of the times I was visiting home on leave and uh, he had done some work on one of the CEOs of TJ Maxx on his house. He's is a contractor. So he hit him up and he was like, Hey, I know you got seats in the EMC club. I'm trying to take my grandson to a game. We end up at the EMC club. I have this like beautiful lobster dinner and we're watching the game. And, but when it's time to move out to our actual seats, I just kind of tucked the glass away and, here we are. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, I'm drinking a, a Guinness out of there. So that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, man. So what you got going on over there? Um, well, you can't really tell, but this is an Allagash White. So tell me about well, let's start with you said South Korea. Yeah, so I, I got to South Korea in um June of 2019. Basically, it was the product of me hating my life so hard living in Virginia, where I was stationed at Langley Air Force Base, <clears throat> performing uh, financial management. That's my job title. I was my financial manager. But within the career field, there's a lot of branches to that. So in Virginia, I was doing a lot of customer service stuff. And it's basically kind of like in the corporate world would be like HR pay type stuff. So people just yell at me all the time because their mm -hmm. stuff's not right. I got so sick of it. So I volunteered for the Korea assignment. And uh, lucky, lucky for me, a few months after I volunteered, I got the assignment threw away a bunch of my stuff and packed up and moved to Korea. And yeah, I was there for a year where I was the deputy dispersing officer on Osan Air Base in uh, just south of Seoul, Korea. It was a really cool job. 
I was in charge of uh, the DDO deputy dispersing officer. So I was in charge of like all of the cash on hand that we had on the base, which was, I actually don't know if I'm allowed to say how much it was for operations. <laughs> we don't purposes, have to get into that. But yeah, but a large amount of money and it was, you it was handed a out. job. Yeah. I was, I was dishing it out. Dollar, dollar <laughs> and, uh, bills, y'all. <laughs> yeah, man. But yeah, like, like I said, it put me in South Korea. So, uh, you know, I got to see a little bit of the country. Unfortunately, the nature of the job I had there kind of prevented me from being able to take a lot of leave or what you know as vacation time. Um, so I, I didn't do a lot of big scale trips there. I, you know, made trips out to Seoul every now and again uh, and saw a little bit of the country and got to enjoy a lot of the culture. And even the area surrounding right around where I was, was obviously deeply Korean. <laughs> I was living in the middle of Korea. So uh, I didn't get to do a whole lot of traveling in Korea, but I did get to live there. And dude, it was awesome. It was, it's one of those things where while I was there, I hated it um, just because the job was stressful, um, though rewarding. It was stressful. My neighbors were really shit, which kind of made things tough. But the food there is absolutely unrivaled. I don't know if you've had true Korean food, but yeah, it's, it's hard American to come by. Chinese food, yeah. It's not like that. Um, their, their cuisine is like super community-based. Like, uh, for example, in my apartment there, my oven was probably the size of like a six muffin muffin tray. They just don't cook at home there. So you, what you do is if you are cooking at home, you're making like a massive stew or you're cooking on the grill like a barbecue style dish. And then everybody's sharing, everybody's got their chopsticks and they're picking all over from all over the place. Or you go out to a restaurant and it's the same thing. You get barbecue style or like a, a big shareable stew or it, it was just awesome. And it was so good. It, that, I haven't found anything like it. it that's I, this sounds, the thing I miss most. Yeah. That sounds honestly great because you, especially America, that doesn't happen a ton anymore. No. Do you remember like, I remember when I was a kid, even like families that, you know, you get together. I'm lucky where I am up here where, because it's been the same pod of people since the beginning of COVID. Cause I moved up here. Literally COVID happened the spring break. Right. So of That's my last sad. year. So I was up here for maple sugaring anyways. And I just said, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. yeah I was like, well, you know, this is a lot better than, you know where where I'm from, so yeah. <laughs> like it's a lot yeah, better definitely better, definitely better. That's a pretty low bar. <laughs> yeah. So I just moved here, and <laughs> but we would always have like Sunday dinners where you would just set out at like everyone except me because I can't cook would set everything else out. I'd bring like paper plates or something, and we would have like a little community of because they're all retired, and oh, nice. I was working from home and still am working from home. Um, so we would just have probably not the same as that, but it was like new for me because I had gotten America itself is just so like, no, I'm going to either eat on the go or, you know, there's not really a communal. It's like, Hey, if someone no. started doing that, I'd be like, motherfucker, get out of here. Stop it. Yeah, exactly. You don't share plates in America. It's like, I'm going to DoorDash Chipotle. Uh, what are you going to DoorDash? You're DoorDashing Chick-fil-A. Okay, cool. And then DoorDash shows up and we go in our rooms. And, and you know, like, while we're watching Netflix in bed. <laughs> yeah. Like, God forbid someone goes, oh, let me take like a piece of chicken from you. Like, yeah. The fuck let me get one of those waffle you. fries. Yeah, exactly. You get your own Polynesian sauce, man. It's not <laughs> happening. Yeah, man. It, I know it's exactly what you mean. Even when I was a kid, there was an emphasis on like, my parents tried really hard, at, at least at one point, like, hey, we're sitting down for dinner as a family. You know, tell us what happened during your day, what you're thankful for, all that crap. But it just does not last. Oh, <laughs> it yeah. was quickly overrun by the uh i grab you mcdonald's on the way home or yeah what happened so i remember 
Um, my parents tried that, but, and God bless them. Um, but they always <laughs> picked like the worst questions in my opinion, because oh, it would be God. like, it would be like, how is school? It was fucking school. What do you mean? <laughs> did, did you learn anything good today? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I have ADHD. So no, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> I was too busy fidgeting with a pen for yeah. literally six straight hours to learn anything. Fucking clicking the shit out of it, and then it broke. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Shot yeah. it, shot across the room, and I got in trouble. Do you really want me yep. to go into that? No. Oh man, I did. I feel that literally in my soul. That is exactly me as a, as a student as well. <laughs> I didn't realize how much ADHD. If I've been like on a journey of like kind of figuring out my own weaknesses and stuff this last whole year. Because there was something that happened that basically made me realize, you know, I'm a little bit too like controlling. Like mm-hmm. I had a buddy up here and it was something small. And I just like, I realized how controlling I was. And I was like, that's not healthy. Mm-hmm. So I just started Definitely. like looking into like myself and what I could start reading some books. I don't know if it's bullshit or not, but uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> but I like really tried to like open myself up and not be as controlling. And even my friends can say that it, I've changed a lot and they've seen some differences and it's not like, but it's like, all right, you're not fucking freaking out. Um, and I started looking into like ADHD and I'm like, Oh shit, that was me. That was because I thought it was just, you take like a pill and then oh, I'm fucking fine. I'm cured. No, <laughs> not no, quite, man. no. <laughs> and there was like so much more. And I realized that like where my parents thought it was like me just being, the classic oh you're lazy or like how i was always you know i was disorganized disorganized yeah, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> i don't and, know it and it was like a lot of it was just you think differently it's just like 100%. a way you view the world and they were saying stuff i'm like it just resonated I'm like, so were you not were you not diagnosed with adhd as a child is this just something that as an adult you're starting to think oh man i i definitely showed a lot of signs so here's what happened i was about to fail out of, I think, freshman year of high school, like completely <clears throat> fail out. And my dad was against me going on meds because he, he had dyslexia as a kid and he just pushed through it because they didn't even like uh, diagnose him. Yeah. So he was he, of the same mindset for you. You just yeah, get he, over it, Jerry. <laughs> well, he was like, I don't want you taking those meds because we don't know what they're going to do 40 years down the line, which to be honest, I'm a little freaked out about that, but I try and just put that over there. Like, (laughs) just, I don't know what they're going to do either. There's never been like long-term studies of what it does. And I'm on like ADHD medications. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on, I'm actually on the lowest dose they can like give me. And I haven't gone up since they put me on it, but they gave me it. And suddenly I was like, Oh, I, I can pay attention. Holy shit. Like I literally got better in sports. I got better in, uh, like just, across the board my grades went from like d's to like a's and b's and it was just i was still not doing the homework because it number one wore off by then but i was getting more done (laughs) because i would sit in class and just do it like all right here's my math here's this and i could finally like do stuff it was like a cloud lifted and that's great so that was my experience with add but i never pushed it past that i was always like all right i take the pill but there's like a lot of other things that like I'll put stuff off because I'm like, oh, well, that like I rank stuff. And I realize that that's how ADHD people do stuff. We like rank stuff at the top. So I think it's really important. I'll get it done. And other stuff like it'll take a lot to push me to do something. But when I 
really put my mind to it, I get it done. It doesn't matter if it's selling a house, forcing a bank to give me a new mortgage, like going to court. I've done all that when I got pissed off at something. And actually, <laughs> yeah, when you have the motivation to do it, when yeah. you're when there's something extrinsic or intrinsic motivating you to do it, then yeah, I find the same thing. It's so much easier to, I call it hyper focus. Like, dude, if something it's triggers me, I my brain like completely narrows. And it's probably to the benefit of that task and the detriment of all other tasks. And I'm like not stopping until it's done. It can be me playing video games, me completing a school assignment, me completing a task at work, pretty much anything, honestly. But yeah, man, once that's in your brain, you're like, this is what I'm doing. That's like, that's it. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. A hundred, And that's an actual thing. Hyperfocus is a real thing. And it's like, it's really, I didn't know number one, how many entrepreneurs had ADHD. <clears throat> Like most of the big names have ADHD. Bill Gates has it. Um, the, a lot of the airline CEOs have it, which it doesn't surprise me at all. That makes me worried a little bit just because I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> motherfucker, you're flying planes and you're losing attention. I want someone that can just dial in. I don't want you, but luckily they're just running the company. They're not flying. The yeah, planes. yeah. <laughs> they're not on the sticks. So this is probably okay. But it's like because of that hyper focus, you can do that. And we're also more. Um, more prone to basically drastic decisions without like, it's just like, yep, we're doing it now. Not like thinking about it or anything like that. It's more like decisive, which is good and bad. Um, yeah, definitely pros and cons. Cause I do have the, I do have the um, hyper-focus. I get that a lot with stocks. I've been doing. You're just reading a chart and you're, you get the oh, numbers going on in your head and like you're drawing lines. And I'll research it to fucking death. <laughs> and, and it's just like the whole subject. Cause I got into Forex trading, um, options, shorting, like anything and anything having to do with the market. I'm like, and, <laughs> that's good though. That's a good place to, to focus your energy. You're, and it's fun me. for me. It's yeah. I love it. And I've done, that's the only reason I was able to get through mm -hmm. uh, the whole thing with my parents was because I knew we had to raise rates in 2017 because I had studied right. the fed since I was 15 and I made the biggest bet I've ever made to date with 600,000 on Bank of America at 20. Nice. And sold at 31. And then dad was 850K in debt. So. Oh my God. Yeah. Really? I didn't know all that. Well, he had four <clears throat> houses and seven mortgages. <laughs> yeah. Did you absorb, you absorb some of that? I absorbed all of that. I didn't think they could do that. I didn't think debt transferred. It, you know, doesn't, it doesn't, posthumously. it doesn't, it doesn't, because it was like this, the lake house up here, I would never get that again. Mm -hmm. So I, so if I want to keep it, I have to. Oh, okay. So like in terms of a house, like if you're, if you're taking the house, you absorb the debt yeah. assigned to it. That does make sense. So I kept yeah. two of them, <laughs> um, got rid of two of the others. But I, before that I had made one of the rental properties make money and then moved into the other one that was next to the college. And then sold the big one that we had been living in in Lunenburg and then yes any of the three people that are going to be listening to this you know my, my grandfather uh, I lived in Lunenburg um, but sold that house paid this one off and played some games with the estate because it's like really hard for them to come after a second mortgage not a first mortgage if there's like a home equity line it's really hard for them to come after you so what they'll normally do if it's under 25,000 is they'll write it off um, uh, and so I got 20,000 written off. It normally kills your credit, but it wasn't in my name. 
And my Hell parents, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're not applying for credit cards. So no, no. Um, I was able to do that. And then I sold, I'd started a logging business. I was shit at logging. I was shit at it. I had no idea you were into logging at all. <laughs> uh, well, it was, it was mainly, it started because I was working at Best Buy. I hated it. It was, Retail was just a nightmare in general. Like, yeah. My soul. I'm like, well, there goes a chunk of it. Um, yep. And I, cause I was in like stocking, like putting shit in there. And these were the most unmotivated people because they saw it as if we take longer doing this, we'll get paid more. I'm like, at the end of the day, you're getting paid $10 an hour. So even if this takes till tomorrow, you're still fucked. Yeah. You're going to be here the same hours every day. <laughs> and it was on a Tuesday and a Thursday from like five yeah. to 3 a.m. So the entire week is fucked. God, that sounds awful to me. And so I, I started never. stacking wood and then I started splitting wood. And then, and I was making like 20 bucks a cord, could do a cord in an hour. And then I bought a chainsaw. Then I bought another splitter, hired a buddy on to just split wood and I'd be cutting. And then I bought $10 million in insurance. And then I bought a truck and then I hired another guy. And then I took a one day course on climbing trees. Yes. <laughs> yes. <safe>. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the expedited tree climbing course. Uh, everybody's signing up for that one. But I got a certification. So I was able to say I'm a certified tree climber. Like to the debt to the letter of it, I was, but Jesus, man. But I was insured because I was like, if I drop a tree on a house, I want to be able to pay for the house. And I kept yeah, the, absolutely. And, yeah, I kept enough to pay for the insurance if that ever happened, like in the bank. And um, we ended up working for Brian Scalabrini. Celtic oh, player. Wait, Scal? Yep. Yep. Mamba? Yep. He was He's our idol. He, he was one of our first clients. Really? Yep. Wow. And I love Scal. He gets I a lot of bad gets... Oh no. Tell me what happened. Well, this is right after the Patriots beat the uh, Falcons for the Super Bowl. And so I meet him. I don't recognize him. I've never been into basketball. I just don't have the attention. <laughs> Six foot eight redhead. You're like, this is normal. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> this hey, is just an tall. ordinary guy. <laughs> I'm looking at him, I'm like, a little tall, but uh, all right. Uh, so what do you want done with trees? <laughs> he goes, I want this, this, and this. And he's like packing up. I go, oh, so what do you do? He's like, oh, I'm in television. I'm like, oh, what, what do you do in television? He's like, uh, sports. He's looking at me like this. How do you fuck this you not fucking know me? guy? It's called NBC Sports Boston, <laughs> you clown. Gets worse. And uh, I go, oh, it's sports. So this must be your busy season with the Patriots just winning the Super Bowl. Oh, no, dude. <laughs> and he just looks at me and goes, more like basketball. I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> I go back and I, I text him and I go, I need your uh, email for to send you a proposal. He sends it to me. I'm like, that name sounds familiar. I think I heard some of the fellas in homeroom talking about someone in Calvary. <laughs> so I Googled it. He comes up. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, you know, he kind of won a championship for our city, <laughs> you know, back in 2008. Kind of a big deal. Not really a, an outstanding player, but, you know, a big deal nonetheless. I take it you weren't a big basketball guy, Jerry. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> that's dude, that's hilarious. I can't believe you worked for Scal and were just just had no idea. Mm-hmm. What did he just seem like totally was Total he cool about it or was he totally like, man, this guy's an idiot? I think at the beginning there was a little bit of like, are you fucking kidding me? But at the same time, he was really down to earth. I mean, I got a fist bump, like you like fist bump me and Hell yeah. <laughs> he was really how did down he to find earth. out about you guys? Craigslist. Stars use Craigslist. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> Stars I use Craigslist so. too. I'm going to start posting ads and trying to solicit Scal for 
random business opportunities. <laughs> Come on, That's in. cool, man. That's a great story. I had no idea. Who'd have thought? What a small I, world. I was good at um, sales. That's the only thing I was good at. So like, <clears> it would take us longer to do a project because I would always overthink things. Literally, <clears> I had my ground guys going, just fucking cut it. I'm like, I don't know. I'm in the trade, so shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one with the one-day cert. <laughs> yeah. And... But that's also the one thing in Massachusetts you don't need a license for. You need a license to paint. But not to yes. log? Yeah. I was wow. thinking about that. I'm like, yeah. I could drop this on like a school of children. Yeah. And there's seriously. no certification for this. But yet to paint that same school, you need to pay into this fund. And you also need like a license. And yeah, it was really weird. And I just got lucky on that. But it allowed me to pay the mortgages because my mom was in defense. And you might know this in defense, like as a defense contractor, if you default on a mortgage, they look at you as open to like susceptible to a bribe. 100%. And, yeah, that's a big red flag. People yeah. in debt. And she would have to, um, she would lose her clearance and then be immediately fired. So she would lose her uh, medical care. And she was like, she had that infection and things weren't going well. So I had to do something to pay seven grand a month in mortgages alone. It was the only thing I could Jeez. do to climb up and make like a grand with no degree, no real skills. And it ended up working out because I could also take her to the doctor and all that stuff. And I took over the apartment buildings, made them make money, evicted a guy for a full year. That and, sounds fun. Oh, it wasn't. <laughs> and um, then after she passed, sold the business to pay for college went back to college and I had this weird thought that for some, somehow I could close the entire estate during um, winter break. You know, that little one month they give you, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I can, I can like move easy money. Yeah. I was like, I can move, I can sell some houses and I'll close it in a month. So the first semester I did fucking gangbusters. Great. The next semester I had to get all of them withdrawn except for one class. Oh my God, dude. <laughs> Slaughtering yourself. Well, yeah, because I was like, oh, no, this, this isn't going to be a big deal. I got this. And I was wrong. And then after that, I did great. And I got sick of it in the last year. So I did a quarter of my degree or a third of my degree, 43 credits out of 120 in the last year and fucking killed it. Nice, man. You were grinding. And, and I remember going into that year. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. Job market's looking awesome. Oh, I'm definitely going to get a job. And then Corona hit. And I'm like, no jobs. Yeah, I'm like, motherfucker, <laughs> I'm, I'm just starting. You're going to pull this on me? <laughs> yeah, dude, that is rough. It hit so many people hard. The only thing I will say is that for somebody like you, who seems to at that point, at least have been somewhat financially savvy, that was a huge opportunity when Corona hit. Oh. So almost, you don't, you don't even need to work. Because, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm probably not as deep into it as you are, but uh I also invest. I just think it's a smart thing to do. I try to encourage mm -hmm. other people to do it. By no means am I an expert. Uh, I know what I know. Uh, yeah, I know what I know. And I know that when the stock market crashed, that it's not going to get worse from there. And even if it does, it's going to get better eventually. Mm -hmm. So I just dumped money into it mm -hmm. on what was it, June 2nd or June 3rd of, or March, I'm sorry, March 3rd or whatever of that day when it just, everything spiked, uh, plummeted. I was like, okay, I guess I'm buying everything I can. And here we are today sitting pretty. So I bought like most of the stuff because <clears throat> I got lucky where right before the crash, you know, things had been going up. Yeah. Um, we had put in highs on everything. Yeah. We had put in like a limit, like sell or a, like a 
yeah, limit cell. So when it got here, um, we would just reduce our position in this by a lot. Mm-hmm. So I came out, I looked at it, I'm like, do we really have this in cash? And he goes, yeah, I don't know why, but I'm like, what do you mean? You don't know why he's like, Oh, I'm looking back. Oh, we put a limit order uh, a year ago on this and it finally hit it. Oh, wow. It, like a trip. Was it like a trailing stop situation? Like a percent or. Well, we just decided like we wanted to get out when it hit this number. Yeah. Nice. And it hit like a 52 week high and hit that number like three days before the crash or something. Wow. And so then I put a lot of that money into one stock. Because I mean, you know, with like travel and stuff, eventually that's going to come back. Yep. What, just, what was the, what was your one bet? Um, I did other bets, but um, well, the I, one I did a lot in the Southwest. Okay, I went Royal Caribbean. Ooh, yes, yeah. Royal those Caribbean has been. Those are going to real nice. Those are going to pick up with um the EU just adding the US. The only know, reason man. you're not seeing it right now is because of the Fed. Yep. Um, but the, you should see that pick up in the next week. Um, it's already, I think, 212% from yeah. when it originally crashed. And it's it's got no signs of slowing. I, I, every guidance I read says, uh, when you hit 20%, you should probably sell a portion of your shares. Or, and I'm like, I'm going to hold true on this one. I feel really good about it. <laughs> nice. so we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens, man. See, that's that's my, my best bet that I made post-corona. That was a good, that was a yeah. good bet. <clears throat> it was. So far, it's working out. But other than that, I do a lot of just like mutual funds and ETFs, mm-hmm. stuff that I know is going to give me a low risk return of you know, whatever it is, five to nine percent a year. Mm-hmm. And a lot in tech, obviously, because tech is still booming. So I've been NVIDIA was another one of my big bets. And other than that, yeah, NVIDIA was a big one, man. That was I got that when it was around 100 uh, a few years ago. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. I, I'm one of the guys that's like, oh, I bought NVIDIA at a hundred dollars. I put in a I put in like a month or I think April, right before they came out with the split. So I was yeah. like, I was like, well, this is kind of expensive. It was at like 500. And so I put a bunch in there. I'm like, I don't know. And then it went, I'm like, yeah, man. What's happening like, here? Yeah. I'm this like, did someone shove a horseshoe up my ass? What the? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, hey, sometimes you hit when you hit, you hit. I've, I've had, um, I've had like one bad one that I, I knew I shouldn't have done this. Um, I normally don't play penny stocks and this one was literally just a tip um, just to explain for everyone after the whole coronavirus thing, I did an internship with a great company for software. I found out computer science is really boring and not for me. Like I have the degree to fall back on, but it's not what I like. And then I fell into private equity by chance. Um, A guy I hadn't talked to since I was like 14 he literally, you remember when I had glasses? Those fucking yeah. like weird blue ones? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, my hair was fucked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he had a picture of me like that sit with a bottle of milk um, from, from when me and my dad met him when I was like 14. That's really weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he was really good friends with my dad. My dad was one of his first investors. And they're putting together a, a fund um, of like 150 to 250 million. And it's a, it's a lot in DOD, a lot in um, like, they have some cool fire suppression. They take like DOD stuff that can be privatized and take it like after it's developed, pick it up for pennies on the dollar and then move it into the private sector. And That's cool. it, so I fell into that and I really enjoy it. So I'm trying to get my MBA, 
But with that job, I get like a lot of insight into the world. And I completely forgot while I, how I got onto this. You're talking penny stocks. Oh yeah. So a buddy of mine told me like, oh, it's prime to go. And I didn't do any of my own research on it. And I just went, all right, we're going to do this as an experiment. And the first day I put in, it shot up 150% right after I did. And I went, oh, I'm going to keep it. That's not the play. That's not the play with penny stocks. The moment it goes no. up like that, you sell you should, motherfucker. Yeah, you sell everything. Yeah, every, and I bought like eleven thousand shares. Oh God! Well, yeah. dude, when, with the over-the-counter like pink slips, penny stocks, it's so easy to just buy thousands and thousands of them. Yeah, so, I, bought a, I, I bought like eleven thousand at like eighty cents or something. Oh, I was at like forty God. cents. <laughs> oh no! Are I you event- still holding it? Well, I eventually looked through their financials, and even though it's going to take a while. You think it'll bump back up? Well, you can see there's an incremental, you know, revenue's going up. They're eliminating debt. That's what you want. Because yeah. when I look to short a stock, I look for the opposite. I look for revenue going down and debt going up. That's all I look for. And like margins, I look at the margins. They're, they're doing the right things. It's just they're not profitable yet. That's literally it. Yeah. They're about a year. Or a two lot of times away. it doesn't reflect. Yeah. A lot of times it doesn't reflect for so long. That's yeah. typically how economics work as a whole. I've noticed is an event happens and the market doesn't correct to reflect that event for sometimes months, years at a time. Or the market sees it before it happens. They do shit sometimes. like that. And then they yep. go, then they ignore it when it happens. It's like, what the? Like, nothing? Yeah. Cause it, then there's the ad, the old ad is just like bet on the news sell on the event or something because because yeah like the market pre is is there before the actual thing happens mm-hmm. you know then they release earnings so the earnings are record highs and mm-hmm. then the market's like just crashing for some reason yet that the, drives the finance, me nuts. finances the, i don't get it when you release your earnings and it's like record they earnings blow it out of the water <laughs> yeah <laughs> like exceeded expectations surpassed expectations by 40 percent, and then people decide now's a video, good time right? to sell yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I saw that I was like record breaking. <laughs> Dude, I, I panicked and I sold a few of my NVIDIA stocks when that happened. Um, and luckily, I was able to buy them back mm-hmm. for about what I sold them for, because I was like, what am I doing? I'm being irrational mm-hmm. and just acting on emotions. And I was able to get them back. But yeah, man, it plays with your emotions. Oh, <laughs> it really <God>. does. <laughs> the only thing worse is I play the 4X and that is like. Yeah, I couldn't do that. Yeah. I'm getting better at it. At first I lost a bunch of money and now I'm finally like starting to continuously make like a couple of bucks, but I'm only playing with like, like the other day I did my first, um, I think it's mini lot, which is only 10,000. Mm-hmm. Normally I was doing like a thousand, I guess you'd call them shares. And yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. I only got like 500 bucks in there. So I'm like playing with almost nothing compared to what everyone else is playing with. Yeah, dude, Forex is a little scary to me because there's so many more factors that kind of go into it and it can change so rapidly. But it's just, it's a weird market because it's always kind of like an exchange rate between two currencies is usually around the same level, but Mm -hmm. it's like micro fluctuating. So you're trying to play the micro fluctuations. It's just a weird game for me. I don't have the patience to to really analyze it and try to play it Mm because I feel like it's a lot more chart analysis. It obviously has some to do with, you know, news and, like when the strength of a dollar, yeah, when the strength of a dollar, you know, changes, obviously that's going to change the exchange rate. But a lot of it is chart manipulation. And I just cannot sit there 
draw lines on a chart for three hours and I just mm-hmm. can't do it, man. <laughs> I'd rather play Rocket League. <laughs> I can't do that either. I'll do it every once in <clears> a <throat> while on a Sunday. I'll look for like macro trends. Yeah. And like uh, the Canadian, I made a lot on um, the US and Canadian just because you Canada is a huge oil exporter. So when oil does better, the Canadian dollar does better. Yeah, for sure. At, or when oil not does better, when oil gets more expensive, the Canadian dollar does better. Right. And with the shoot up from also oil companies got super lucky because I didn't know this bonds for bonds, like oil was funded mostly through bonds. So debt, and they were all coming due come 2021. And it was based off of like, they made those bonds based off of oil being at like $70 a barrel at 2020. I think it was at like $20 a barrel or something ridiculously low like that. Yeah. So they were literally saved by the bell. Wow. Because it's at 70 now, and I'm like, you motherfuckers got so close. They just squeaked by. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, man. Oil is crazy right now. What's it at? What's it, what's it cost to fill your car right now? Oh, dude. And, and is it crazy? I'm what? For some reason, the, the Department of Defense has decided to bless me and keep the gas on base to like, a, I think it's still under $3. So I'm still doing all right. But I know that you guys in America are struggling right now. I'm under $3. <laughs> Oh, that's yeah. not bad. Yeah, I'm at like 286, but the rest of the country, because remember, we have like Boston and a lot of oil comes in. Yeah, that's true. You're not in like a big city right now, so. Yeah, I know uh, my neighbor and my uncle, he paid over three the other day in Melrose. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. So it's I, dude, what, what, go ahead. No, you. So it, it blows my mind because we freak out about spending $3 a gallon on gas, or if you remember, back in the, the oil crisis was happening and people were driving to the, the low, to the place that's one cent cheaper than the other place. Cause gas was like four fifty a gallon or whatever. And we forget about that dude here. The norm is they one they buy by the liter. It's like $2 a liter for petrol as they call it. I here. was going to say, don't they call it petrol? Yeah. They call it petrol. It's $2 a liter in some places, usually maybe one fifty to $2. So that's $8 for a gallon of gas. And I'm like, how are you guys doing anything? I'd be riding my bike. Or taking the two shoe express everywhere. <laughs> I've heard now, correct me if I'm wrong, but last time I was in London, <laughs> which was like 2013, so a while ago, um, right. they were talking about like, I think they had a tax on you just having a car in London. Like, if so you have a I'm car not, in London, yeah, that is, that is a fact. I'm not 100% spun up on it because I obviously don't live in London, so I don't own a car there. But mm-hmm. even if you drive in certain parts of London, it's like a congestion tax or something like that, where you have to pay to basically use your car in the area because like any big city, it's just extremely overcrowded with vehicles. Dude, driving in London is the absolute worst. Worse than Boston. I've not been to like LA, so I can't tell you that, but it's worse than Boston for sure. It is a freaking nightmare. People are absolute assholes to you. Like you'll be at an intersection with traffic coming both directions and you're waiting to pull out and the guy behind you's on your ass beeping at you like he wants you to pull out into oncoming traffic it is just the people in the uk are nice unless they're behind the wheel of a car in london it blows my mind they just have perpetual road rage dude they they honestly do they honestly do but luckily they do have great public transport and there's a lot of stuff where you can park in one central location and as long as you don't mind walking around a bit uh weather permitting which is a huge factor you can see a lot on foot too. So I do London's remember, a really cool city, man. I do remember London being like very walking, like friendly. Yeah. Um, 100%. We, 
we were there for the Queens, like the, the country went nuts. Um, it, the Queens Diamond Jubilee, it's like her 75th birthday. I don't know which birthday it, it means, but it's yeah, called the Jubilee. And literally they like shut down one of the biggest areas. I think it's like Trafalgar Square or Piccadilly. I don't know. Um, yeah, probably Piccadilly. They shut that down. They put in a TV that's bigger than my house. Mobile. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And they just went ham. Like pigs just being cut up and like handed to people, beer flowing everywhere. I'm Jeez. like 17 going, kind of, and they're like, yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> my mom's like, put Dude, that fucking down. And <laughs> I didn't know you had been to London. I was there once, um, right before the Olympics for like a week with uh, my father and mother. Um, That's cool. And it was really cool, man. We, um, I remember dad almost took off the mirror um of the rental car he goes oh, yeah. I, he, he was like i didn't hit it because we you know those big red buses yeah oh yeah the double deckers too yes yes <laughs> yes they're very wide <laughs> yes he nicked one of those and he was like i didn't hit it i'm like there's red on the side of the mirror sure dad sure. <laughs> this car is blue <laughs> no, you're not fooling anybody man yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it dude. was like so getting back to what I wanted to talk to you about, like, tell me more about your adventures in, I mean, you've talked to me a little bit about South Korea. Tell me about number one, moving to London. You, you got to have some stories about how the hell, cause the pandemic over there, I mean, you guys are still on lockdown, right? Technically. So or phase we're actually, 5. we're actually not on. Yeah. We're actually not on lockdown anymore. Thank freaking God, man. Um, cause yeah, it, it has, it had been rough. So basically I moved here in June at late June, 2020. And I had to stay in a hotel quarantined for two weeks on arrival. Uh, then after quarantine, it really wasn't too crazy here. It was pretty relaxed, actually. Um, people were out and about doing things as normal. I was like, Oh, this is freaking sweet. I thought it was going to be crazy lockdown like everywhere else. And it wasn't. So I took advantage of that for a little bit. I didn't get out and travel or anything. But I found my flat that I live in and just kind of enjoyed the local area. And then like, November, maybe October, November rolls around and we go into another lockdown. And I had got here just after their first lockdown where people lost their minds. And all of the British friends that I had made were like, yeah, get ready for this, man. It's going to absolutely freaking suck. So yeah, we go in the dark times. <laughs> yeah, man, I really wasn't. And it was brutal. <clears throat> like you were literally barely allowed to leave your house, man. You were, you were going out for food and that's it. And most of the time it was like, Hey, get these groceries delivered. If you can, we don't want you out of your house. You're not allowed to mingle with other households at all. Um, you were allowed to have what's called a support bubble. So you and one other household were allowed to mingle, but that was it. And it was for like support. So like boyfriend and girlfriend, or if you were neighbor or something and you guys wanted to mingle, you were allowed to do that. But it was, it was crazy, man. I barely left the house. Every shop was freaking shut down. Um, yeah, it, it was just an absolute nightmare. Like I was telling you earlier, before we started, I grew a full beard because <laughs> I was working from home full time, which was pretty cool. That part of it, I didn't mind because yeah, I don't get to grow a full beard very often. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was working from home, which I really dig actually. But when it's combined with the pandemic it, and the global lockdown or uh, a national lockdown, it, it was pretty bleak. It takes so that's why, yeah, that's why now that things are starting to, to finally loosen up, <clears throat> I'm trying to get out as much as I can. I've barely spent a weekend at home uh, for probably for the past few months. 
And a lot of that I have to attribute to my girlfriend who I met in January uh, on Tinder and <laughs> shout out to Tinder. And uh, we've been going strong since then, but she's definitely more of the adventurous type. Whereas I'm the one that's like, I kind of just want to stay home and play video games. So the, the pandemic and the lockdown wasn't like the worst for me because I was just grinding Call of Duty, knocking out seasons <laughs> and like catching dubs in Warzone with my boys back home. But uh, yeah, so finally, when we were able to finally start going places, she's planning all this stuff and we're getting out and about. So the first big trip we did was a few weeks ago where we went to Cornwall, which is actually where they just held what's called the G7 Summit. You probably saw that on the news. I Joe saw Biden. a lot about that. I did a bit yep, literally so today about it. <clears throat> yep. He actually flew into, so I'm on uh, Royal Air Force Base Lake and Heath and 10 minutes down the road is Royal Air Force Base Milden Hall. They're two Air Force bases that are separate missions, but they kind of support each other. Mm -hmm. uh, so Joe flew into uh, RAF Milden Hall and my girlfriend actually works in the control tower there. So I got some pretty cool pictures of Air Force One, a picture of the back of Joe Biden's head from the top of their <laughs> control tower, which it's is pretty still cool. Sick. Yeah, it's cool. But uh, yeah, so he was just down there for the, uh, the G7 summit uh cornwall dude it's beautiful i would describe it as kind of like just based on my previous experiences i would call it like the cape cod kind of of the united kingdom where it's just beach towns like sands and the little picket fences and the beach the little beach shops and mm -hmm. everybody's just happy to be there in tan and it was just awesome man we went to all sorts of funky pubs uh we went to this place called saint michael's mount which was an, a castle that was built on an island in the ocean Ooh. And you can only get there by ferry or if the tide is low enough, it like the water just lowers and it unleashes this old stone bridge that you that. can walk out on. So we, yeah, dude, we took the ferry out, explored the castle, all the gardens, everything the little island has to offer. And then we walked back, which is just really cool. It's really, really cool. Um, so we did that. We thought we were tougher than the sun that day. So I got my first sunburn in like two years. Um, and then, over the rest of the trip, we just checked out a lot of lots of pubs, went to some gardens, like outdoor art installations and stuff like that. But yeah, so we, we went out and did that. Just last weekend, we went to uh, Oxford, um, which you obviously have heard of due to Oxford University. It's a big college town. I took a class <clears> from there. Yeah, there you go. So that's where I went. Went to Oxford and that place is cool. It's like, it's pretty hippy dippy. They had an awesome market, but everybody's wearing like parachute pants with like orange and blue colored hair dude it, yeah it was really weird it was super weird like they just never left the 70s like... yeah dude it was truly strange i was very surprised at the earthy munchy crunchiness of the people that were walking around in oxford i got nothing against it it's just like no no, no absolutely <laughs> not uh from there we went to uh it's called woodstock which is a cute little village and i went to this palace called blenheim palace and apparently it's the basically childhood home of Oh my God. I literally just had his name in my head. Winston Churchill. Thank you. Thank you, myself. The childhood home of Winston Churchill. So he was born in this palace, which had pre pre um, predated him by a couple hundred years. It was built, I think, in the 1700s. It's over 300 years old now. Dude, this thing is absolutely immaculate. The lady that was kind of guiding us told us that if it was built today, it would cost 10.6 billion pounds, billion with a B, which would be about $15 billion, US dollars. Oh, I, I, it's absolutely immaculate. And everything inside is still original, which is what makes it so unique. Because most of the like historic architectural stuff is a lot of it's remodeled or 
they built it to look like it was old times because stuff doesn't hold up, you know, mm-hmm. but the carpets were original, the tapestries on the walls, wow. the original furniture, books on the shelves. It was so cool. So that's what I love about this place. There's so much stuff like that where we obviously have historic stuff in America too, but mm-hmm. here, everywhere you look, there's some castle or monument or, you know, landmark that you can go visit. That's just like absolutely rich in history. So we're not yeah, that it, old. So we <clears> like, what we consider old is like, like I remember when I went over there, it like blew my mind. Cause like when I think old, I'm like, Oh, where we landed, they have stuff that predates that by centuries and centuries and centuries. We're still like, we think we're the big, you know, the big guys on the block. And we think we're, we've been around a while. And then yeah, you look at England yeah, for like, 250 years. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, my flat that I live in now, whenever I go in the basement, there's like old safes built into the walls and it's really strange. And so I asked my letting agency, I was like, well, what is this place that I'm living in now? Because it certainly was not always an apartment. They're like, oh yeah, it was built in the 1300s. The basement is still original. It was an old law office. That's why the safes are built into the walls down there. So the building I'm living in, though it's completely refinished on the inside, I do have one old exposed beam in my hallway, which is cool. But this building is that I'm living in is 700 years old which is almost triple the time, the age of the U.S. existence. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's totally crazy. You're right. We know old, but they know really, really, really old. Well, like there's a company over there. It's um like the first bank or private bank or something that was literally doing stuff before there was money. They were investing before there was money. Trading shells and stuff. <laughs> they would like, like they have like a receipt from where they traded a cow like they like leased a cow for like x or something like like x amount of grain per year it was that sounds about right (laughs) yeah i mean you have to same same family yeah oh my god that's crazy we have to remember the uk or great britain i guess Mm -hmm. was obviously a world superpower for the longest time like they were the ultimate rulers of the world which is why it's badass that we separated from them and you know colonized our own country that's pretty cool but yeah man like they've been around <laughs> they've been around they've done oh, it yeah. all but yeah it's cool to live here it honestly reminds me a lot of america especially massachusetts being new england i can see why they would call it that it definitely draws a lot of ties which makes sense because the people that colonized massachusetts came directly from here so yeah. they built from what they knew so the infrastructure is very similar like the tiny roads like especially in boston the tiny little carriageways cobblestone streets and all that kind of stuff so it it has a very New Englandy feel. I guess New England has a very Englandy feel, but you catch what I'm saying. But yeah, so it doesn't feel too foreign. And it's nice that people here speak English. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, coming from South Korea, where the language barrier was a real problem, but luckily here, though their words are a little bit funny sometimes, it well, is the same language. <laughs> I put the I put the um, the thing I did through Oxford University. I actually met a bunch of people from England, so. Um, like a few CEOs of companies. I thought it was all going to be people my age. It wasn't. I was really out of my depth, but made some friends. And they were telling me that like the lockdowns were terrible. Oh, and, dude, yeah. But they all spoke English. And I remember like the program, I still get questions on it on my resume because they call it a program, but it's not spelled like the US spells it. But I'm like, no, that's the spelling. That, I didn't make a typo. That's. <laughs> two m's and an e like they have an e yep, i was gonna say it's got, it's got to be a double m e situation 
yeah, man, they do things weird over here. Their spellings are off and their terms are strange, but you get used to it. But in a way, ours are the ones off. Yeah, exactly. Because we came from, from our them, perspective. Like, yeah. yeah. From our perspective, they're off. But yeah, correct. <laughs> we are definitely <laughs> the ones that are off. But it's funny how quickly you adapt to the uh, the different dialect. So like I'll be on the phone with my mom and I'm like, oh, yeah. Or actually, say a delivery driver. Every once in a while when I get delivery, they're like, I can't find your flat. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm in the flat that's just past the car park uh, down the, the lane. And just like the words I'm using, I made a call to a delivery driver once with my mom on FaceTime. And she was like, what the hell are you talking about? The flat by the car park down the lane. What is that? I'm like, oh, flat's apartment. Car park is parking lot. Like we just call stuff different here. So it's really interesting. And I, I work with a bunch of locals and I fuck with them all the time. <laughs> just like just doing accents at them and saying the stupid shit they say back to them. It's actually really fun. It's a fun time. It's interesting seeing things from a totally different yet similar cultural perspective that dude it sounds like you're on the adventure of a lifetime i got it a bit with where they're sending you um it sounds like you like your work now better than you did before because you were like i hated it then yeah which makes me think that now you don't hate it or maybe there's a difference <laughs> so i'll tell you what i do now so uh, I'm a financial manager still. That's the overarching term of my career field. But now I'm a budget analyst and resource advisor. So this is typically the more glamorous job that you can do out of the two main ones in my career field. Um, so I'm a budget analyst and resource advisor for what we're calling the F-35 bed down on RAF Lake, RAF being Royal Air Force Base. So basically I'm in charge of funding the entire project and overview of providing the base infrastructure to support the operation of new F-35 aircraft out of our base. Mm -hmm. I'll be the first, we'll be the first base overseas, uh, U.S. military base overseas to support these aircraft. Um, so it's a huge deal. It's a, a massive project. And, you know, I have a $20 million a year budget that I'm using to build runways, build hangars, installation detection systems, like all sorts of crazy stuff to support the, uh, to support the operation of these F-35s, which are supposed to be the big, bad, next-generational operational aircraft, which should be taking over the air-to-air -air duties of the F-15, while also taking over the air-to-ground duties of the A-10 Warthog. So they're supposed to be kind of a, an all-in-one. So we'll see how that goes. I don't know. Some people are optimistic, some are not. Uh, so I'm that's gonna put one my half. Faith, <laughs> I'm going to put my faith in it because we spent a lot of money on it. Uh. So much money. <laughs> I know firsthand because it's so much. Uh, so that's one half of my job. And then the other half is I'm the, what's called the CAFOPS guy. I don't know what CAFOPS stands for, but I know that basically I'm in charge for funding all of the base contingency and exercise operations that, that we perform. So contingency operations would be deployments, sending people overseas to Iraq, Afghanistan, as well as other places that we deploy mm -hmm. people in Africa or Asia. Uh, all, over, all, all over the globe. So I support that. And then any of the exercises we do, which are typically joint exercises. So we would send a squadron of fighter jets over to an Italian Air Force base or a Greek Air Force base. And we would train that with them, do training sorties, drop fake ordnance and stuff like that. So I fund all that, which is another really high is big program, obviously, because it's international relations demonstrating our air power, all those big trigger words and stuff. Yep. So 
two really cool programs individually together, it's a lot. So I'm a little mm-hmm. stressed out lately, to be honest. I'm sorry. But, uh, oh, no, it, it is what it is. <laughs> I, am, I am stressed out, but I truly enjoy the impact that I'm having. Sounds and like I know that I'm making like, it is because I know I'm making stuff happen. Mm-hmm. These aircraft, I mean, I, I can't say this stuff wouldn't happen without me because they'll yeah. find somebody else to do it. But I'm an essential cog in, in this mm-hmm. machine to put planes in the sky, um, to You're coordinate our planes with generation. other planes. And I'm rolling out another generation of aircraft, which should dominate the skies, hopefully, for decades mm-hmm. to come. And, you know, it's called the European Deterrence Initiative to keep Russia basically. In a corner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They when they see our F-35s, they will cower in fear. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a really cool, rewarding job that obviously just gets stressful. When you're dealing with money, it's it's a whole other ballgame, man. And you know how worked up people can get about money. You know oh. how worked up they can get. You probably just actually today, work with some of um, the people we're trying to work with, I guess. Um, it's like, a possibility. We do deal with a lot of logistics companies. Yeah, um, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm not really at will to. I know you can't discuss. Yeah, I know you to can't discuss the. That. That's I'm not yeah, asking that. <laughs> but it, it's it's very likely. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's there are plenty of privatized contractors that we use. It's mm-hmm. not all in house. It couldn't be. But yeah, it's very likely that that is the case. Because we and deal I'm with, probably writing them checks for millions of dollars. <laughs> yeah, we deal with um a few that have like they did the rollouts for Afghanistan and stuff like that. Because when we come in, we subcontract like literally just getting our people there sometimes yeah. and back and getting making sure that the camps have x y and z water and companies have been built out of that over especially in kuwait we're dealing with one over there um and all they do is logistics and most of their business comes from us uh, that's cool and but dude i gotta admit it sounds really interesting like you're the rollout for the f-35 that's like yeah I remember being on, like watching Jag and it's like, oh, this is the F, the F-10 or the F-15 or the A-10 Warthog <laughs> and stuff like that. If they ever start making those types of shows again, <laughs> the thing that you rolled out is what they're going to be talking about. Yeah, it, it is pretty cool. It's fun when I can hop into Battlefield and pilot an F-35 and be like, we're going to have these here. And it's partly thanks to me. I'm just hoping that due to my role in this program, they allow me to get a turn in the flight simulator, maybe sit in one, <laughs> take some pictures and stuff. I honestly, I'm hopeful about the simulator. Yeah, they do simulator visits for the F-15s uh, mm-hmm. as kind of like incentive and uh, team building exercises and stuff. You can sometimes coordinate that. Our F-35 simulator is obviously something that we're still building because we, you know, we don't have aircraft yeah, yet. We like just got um, the plane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's something that's still work in progress. But I'm praying, fingers crossed, when that thing is done, they're like, hey, Matt. Thanks for helping us out for these past two years. You want to ride in the simulator, shoot down some commies? I'm like, absolutely, I do. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. So yeah, that I am. I'm really holding that hope that I get to to at least sit in one and play in the simulator. Oh, that would be so cool. It that, would be, man. Yeah. Like, due to the length of our interview with John, we are going to break up the interview into a few segments. So this is the end of this segment. Have a good day, everyone.